Welcome in, Car Chronicle Podcast, back here with you on a uh, Thursday, bi-week Thursday here for the football team, Mike Rutherford and Danny Snard. And look, let's not beat around the bush here, Dan. Um, people know that we are Reds fans, and there are going to be some people who are listening to this, uh, I guess, after Game 2 on Thursday, or maybe even after Game 3 on Friday, if there is a Game 3. Maybe things are going to be better. Uh, I doubt it. Um, we're, we're hurting. We're, we're going to do our best to be upbeat. And to be funny and to talk about Louisville sports, but uh, it's it, it was a rough Wednesday afternoon for us. Yeah, I mean, I've never reached like a sports level to where after a tough loss, like someone sticks a microphone in front of my face and I just like, you know, don't want to talk. Um, obviously, me and you, we love talking about cards football and we love doing the pod, but I am just so mad about this game today. And for anyone that watched it, uh, that, you know, was a Reds fan as well. I mean, so many tantalizing opportunities just left out there. It's it's so on brand for the Reds. David Bell could not have managed a worse game. And not to just go off a tangent, but my God, what an absolute catastrophe that was. Uh, I mean, and for people, we may have mentioned this on the pod before, I'm not sure, but like, obviously we're big fans but for you it's kind of it's a family thing like your uncle's the equipment manager your grandfather's the legendary hall of famer bernie stowe so it's i mean it's very very serious and i wasn't actually a reds fan until we became friends as kids and you started taking me to games and i got to go to the clubhouse and really felt like i had no choice and it's legitimately the worst thing a friend has ever done to me is (laughs) to the reds like i i've I've never had a friend do anything meaner to me in my entire life than you did simply by starting to take me to baseball games. Yeah, I, I've I've taken you on this Reds disaster roller coaster, and now I'm taking every U of L fan on just an absolute disaster of a dumpster ride here the last year and a half. So hope everyone's buckled up. Uh, it's like don't become a Vikings fan; it's just as bad. Um, like but, yeah. I, I think it was my guy, uh, Presley Meyer from Big Red Louie, who was like following along on Twitter. As tough as it is to be a Louisville fan sometimes, I can't imagine being like a Louisville fan and a Reds fan. I was like, try Louisville fan, Reds fan, and Lions fan. See if you can walk around in my pants for one day. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, like, I I honestly, I mean, I know there's other, like, tortured fan bases out there professionally and and college wise, but I mean, if there, if there's any that matches up with, with me and you, I, I really do want to talk to them because my God, have we seen some losses? We've seen some shit. It's always shit like this too. And it, I feel like it kind of coincides with our real life. Like we were talking about it earlier. Was it uh, I think it was, I guess it would have had to have been 2010 Reds are finally back in the playoffs. They clinched the division on that Jay Bruce walk-off. It's, it's an incredible, like, we're all looking forward to it. They're a sleeper pick against the Phillies. Game I, game one, they get no hit. Game two, we're like, all right, let's put it behind us. I completely bombed my first law school exam. You get fired from a job. Just whiffs on a line drive in the outfield. We get our shit kicked in by the Phillies on our way to a sweep. It just... It's never just the losses. It feels like it's always the per- – it gets personal from the sports gods. It's it's just terrible. I, I am not operating a vehicle tomorrow because there's like a 50% chance I'm either going to get a speeding ticket or something bad's going to happen. I'm just going to lock myself in my room so nothing else bad can happen. But good vibes only. We got Louis Castillo on the mound tomorrow, so uh, we'll see what happens. 
Good vibes only. And because we're doing good vibes only, we're going to save the football conversation for a little bit later because, uh, unfortunately, some negative vibes there from Saturday's game. Uh, we'll talk by – and Keith and I kind of talked about this on the, on the last podcast. There are usually three or four times – it's not as bad as it used to be, but there's still three or four times, I feel like, in September and October, which are supposed to be you know peak football months, primary focus on football, where basketball just totally hijacks the local conversation – and it's happened a couple of times the last two weeks. We talked about it uh, briefly on the last pod, but the Chris Mack, John Calipari war of words, the Louisville-Kentucky rivalry, which, I mean, we can be real. It, it's it kind of, it, it fizzled a little bit in recent years when we lost Rick Pitino. Um, and if you want to say, well, it was never really going because Louisville can't win, fair enough, what, whatever. But I think we all would agree that in the middle of the last decade, the rivalry was definitely as contentious as, as it's ever been, at least amongst the two fan bases and amongst the two head coaches. And I think there was a little bit of concern when, not concern, but when Chris Mack took over, people wondered how it was going to be. He's kind of perceived as sort of a nice guy, even though he did get into the rivalry with uh, with, with Cincinnati, certainly, and with Mick Cronin. But the first two years, not a whole lot of back and forth between Cal and Mack, not any, anything out of the ordinary. Kentucky wins a, easily in year one. Um, they win an overtime last year in a great game. And then now we've got this pandemic-fueled back and forth between Cal uh, and Chris Mack. We can recap it really quickly. Basically, Chris Mack went to Calipari a few weeks ago and when, when you know we found out how scheduling was going to work in college basketball for this season and said, look, we can't play in front of fans this year. Why don't we do this uh, neutral court game? Or maybe he pitched uh, the, the bubble or something like that. But basically, let's keep this so that Louisville can keep its home court advantage next season. And then in 2022, the game will be back at Rupp Arena and everything will go according to plan. Calipari then comes out um, after Matt goes public and in, in, in saying, I don't know if we're going to play Kentucky because it's not going to fare. It's not equitable and all this stuff. Calipari then comes out and pretty heavy handedly says, look, we've got a contract. We're going to play the game. If they don't want to play, that's on them. And then kind of infers that or implies that Louisville's trying to get out of the series, just doing his just, throwing chum to the Sharks, letting them do their thing, um, the, the typical UK bullshit. And, and then everybody's kind of wondering what Mac's going to do because even Louisville fan base, and I'm definitely among that, was we all kind of said, look, dude, you've got to play the game. I, I know it sucks. Your complaints are valid, but this game but has to be played, whether it's there, whether it's here, whether it's at Seneca Park. Uh, I don't care. You've got to play the game. Chris Mack comes out. And posts a video that legit just sets the internet on fire. Like, college basketball hasn't been talked about at all the last five months since the tournament was canceled. And it was at the forefront of every sports conversation for a cool period. If you haven't seen the video, my God, check it out. But Mac comes out and just is, like, sarcastic as shit going after Calipari and being like, we're going to do whatever John wants. And then lays out all these reasons, all these things that UK has done to make scheduling this game a little bit difficult, including scheduling Notre Dame on December 12th, which was the date that UofL and UK had originally uh, agreed upon and the UK backed out of because they said they weren't going to have enough time uh, to get back after they flew home from London six days earlier. Mac lays all this stuff out. It's a direct shot across, across the bow at John Calipari. Calipari's only response is a tweet that night saying, see you December 26th, can't wait, or something like that. So, I mean... This is this feels like the biggest moment for the rivalry since the day Rick Pitino was fired. Am I wrong? No, definitely not wrong. And and there's just a lot to unpack with Chris Mack's response. Um, I mean, first off, 
I loved it. I mean, it, something about the way that the rivalry has gone the last however long they've dominated, where we've had two wins out of the last, I don't know, I think we're two and 14. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I know it's, it's a lot of losses. But there's always a kind of perceived by the UofL fan base is, why don't we approach this game more like a rivalry game and just not another game? And Chris Mack has now put this on a pedestal. I mean, he, uh, with this video, he has reignited this rivalry 100%. Um, now, I, as much as I love it, it's kind of hard to sit there and, and pound your chest, you know, when you have lost this many games in, in the past however many years. But, you know, I, I, I like the boldness of it. Um, I think it, it kind of gets the players excited as well. And it, I love kind of, you know, Cal, I guarantee, I know he just sent the tweet out. There'll be some sort of response at some point. I don't know when it's going to come. It'll be calculated. I mean, he's not the world's best used car salesman for nothing. So there's going to be some sort of response. But, I mean, it was just so great to see, you know, Chris Mack kind of air out the dirty laundry and um, kind of let us know what's going on behind the scenes. Maybe that, you know, we, that the fan base really is kind of kept in the dark about. The word from the people who are who are know John Calipari, who are kind of close to him and who like me uh, has always been like, I, Calipari, like anybody with a big ego in a, in a high profile position, isn't overly you know keen of anybody coming for his throat or saying things publicly. But the stuff that really bothers him is when anybody makes public any part of like how the sausage gets made, any part of the behind the scenes stuff that maybe he doesn't want to, you know, the fans to know or people to hear about. Whenever anybody comes forward with that stuff, that's what really drives him crazy. It's why he's been kind of, um, Gary Parrish wrote a really good column a couple of years ago. He covered him when he was uh, the Memphis beat writer and Cal was at Memphis talking about just how, I don't know if he used the word neurotic, but just how like Calipari always thought people were out to get him. He was always just really, really nervous about that stuff, and he didn't want any of the behind-the-scenes stuff to be made public, which I think, especially in Memphis, you can understand why. There was some, you know, whatever. <laughs> stuff going on there. Um, but I think that's what – about this whole thing, like the whole we're coming for you, see you at the yum. I don't think he minds that stuff. I think the, the Chris Mack revealing that they went to ESPN – and tried to get one of Louisville's ACC games rescheduled without talking to Louisville about it, I think that's what's really going to piss him off. And I, I'm with you. I think there's going to be a response. He's going to <clears> – <throat> I don't know if it will be like the the jabs that he used to throw at Patino that were always kind of you know thinly veiled but quick, and he sort of moved on. I don't know if it will be that or if it will be something more calculated or if he just doesn't say shit until we get closer to the game. But there's zero doubt in my mind that he's pissed off, and, and I like that because – I think he had become a little bit complacent with the rivalry. Even after, remember, the one game we've won in the last five, six years, the 2016-17 game with Donovan Mitchell and those guys, Quentin Snyder breaking Bam out of Bios ankles. Like, remember after that, Cal was, he, he like invited Rick on his podcast. That, that was yeah. sort of, he handled the whole thing. I don't know. I just think it's a, it's a jolt that we needed. Yeah, and I mean, it's got us talking about it right now. I, I guarantee it has the players excited, you know, um, I'm sure, you know, workouts, practices probably get a little mundane after a little bit. So, you know, stuff like this probably does nothing but kind of put a pep in their step as well. So, yeah, I mean, we Chris is very with the media and with his responses, you know, very reserved, doesn't really, you know, put everything out there. And for him to kind of 
you know, go off script like this, it, it makes it fun. I mean, the, the state of Kentucky obviously loves the rivalry and um, we almost love the off the court shit just as much as the on the court stuff. I'd say maybe we love it even more. So, um, yeah, not, I mean, not that I wasn't looking forward to the game before, but I mean, talk about the lead up going to this game. It, it's going to be fantastic. Here's the only thing that I'll say. I don't know if this, this makes it less cool or not, but don't you kind of feel like Mac had to do he, – he sort of got forced into a corner here. It's not like he just came out – like this video surprised everybody, but at some point he was going to have to do something like this, whether it was just like agreeing to play Kentucky and you know sending out like a see with the Yum Center tweet or something along those lines. But like I, I genuinely think – and I said this on, on the last podcast, re- revealing Hot Hot Card Chronicle uh, podcast insider info. Louisville has been trying to do this bubble thing. They wanted to get 12 teams um, to come to Louisville to treat it like Orlando's treated the NBA, to treat it like uh, Edmonton treated the NHL playoffs, where teams could stay in a little bubble, uh, have food, have accommodations. But they were apparently charging a decent price for programs that wanted to get involved. And athletic programs across the country aren't, uh, aren't, aren't swimming in money these days. So my understanding has been Louisville has really struggled to find teams to participate in this bubble, and it may not happen after all. So I think that he originally kind of wanted to put some public pressure on Kentucky and on Cincinnati to play in the bubble, and when that didn't work, and I think when he saw not just the responses from UK fans and from Calipari, but when he saw Louisville fans that were like, you know, I, I kind of agree with Cal, we got to play this game, let's let's just do it. I know it's not fair, but whatever. He was going to have to come out swinging at some point, or he was going to have to agree to this. The way in which he executed it was perfect. Like he made the the best possible um, like lemonade out of lemons here. He was back into a corner, had to come out swinging. He did, and he landed. A, I think a, a really nice combination. It just I, I don't know. Like I, I I feel like we've got more of a puncher's chance in this game because you're right. Like the back and forth has been fun, but at some point it loses a little bit of its edge when you can't really say shit back. Like our only ammo has been kind of like making fun of Kentucky fans or making fun of them not having as much success in the tournament as they should. We can't really say shit about the games and you can even do it. You don't have to win every year. You don't have to be like UK is right now winning uh, what 11 of 13 under Calipari. If we had just won a few more here or there, then I think we could, you know, this could be a rivalry. This could be the golden age of the rivalry as it is. I feel like we kind of squandered that opportunity, but I I don't know. Uh, I still think it's going to be okay. what do you think happens with the college basketball scheduling? We're going to get 20 games in the ACC. We're going to have seven non-conference games. Uh, Louisville's not going to go to Las Vegas. We found that out. Um, we don't know who else they're going to play. We know they're going to play somebody from the Big Ten in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. But, I mean, is, is there any sort of realistic possibility that college basketball goes off without a hitch? Because it sounds like it's a total shit show right now. I don't know. I, I And I've... I've been so back and forth at, you know, predicting is college football going to go off without a hitch? And I mean, there has been a, a couple hiccups and, you know, postponements, you know, are they going to make up some of these games maybe depending on if they need to. Um, so all that still has to play out. You know, we have the big 10 and the PAC 12 coming in in October we have no idea how that's going to shake out, you know, at the end of the year as far as making the college football playoff. So I, it's like so up in the air. I, I honestly don't think we'll have a better grasp for it until 
maybe right as the season tips off and, you know, we get a couple games under our belt to see if this is going to be successful or not. I mean, obviously college basketball is, you know, my favorite sport. So I, I'm, I'm praying that it does, but it's, it's too far out to really even tell right now. Here's the only thing I'll say that scares me about the, the possibility of it. Cause games are going to get canceled. We're seeing it in college football. The only reason that's not getting more attention, I think is because up to this point, everybody's had, you know, a, like available bye weeks exactly. later, later exactly. in the season. Like when we get, like, it, let's say Ohio State has to cancel a couple of games or they can't play a team because they have protocols. Like that's, and there's no way to make it up because the Big Ten has no scheduled bye weeks. I think that's when people get more serious about talking about kind of the uh, the difficulty in making this happen. Here's where my fear lies with college basketball because the programs, the coaching staffs, they got their protocols from the NCAA this week. And one of the protocols, the big one that everybody circled is, if one player or coach or manager test positive, just one, you shut down everything for 14 days, everything. And I, I, I don't know how you make that work. Yeah, uh, that just seems I, I mean, it just seems unrealistic I mean, with what we've seen throughout, you know, unless you're in a, a bubble type environment. Um, you know, baseball's had positive tests. College football programs have had you know, positive tests. Um, golf has had positive tests. So, I mean, it's it's been virtually impossible not to come across a positive test, and that would just throw such a huge wrench in, uh, you know, uh, scheduling. You know, it could be a detriment to a certain program as far as, you know, how they stack up against other teams. It, it's just – it throws everything out of balance. Yeah, I'm real curious to see how it all happens, but we do know now Louisville, Kentucky, day after Christmas – Circle the calendars. It's going to be real. Gonna be I big. love the day after Christmas game, by the way. Do you? I, I, yeah, I really do. Because, I, like, I mean, obviously everyone loves Christmas. And then, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, love, I mean, come on. Obviously. But, I mean, the day after, sometimes it's a little bit of a letdown. Maybe, you know, uh, some people are just like, all right, like holidays over, kind of back to life. But, nope, you're, you wake up and you're just as juiced up as you are on Christmas. I, I absolutely love it. I could use one day extra. Like 27th would be okay for me. Like the, the quick turnaround with everything being a little bit hectic. We go to my wife's family in, in Springfield. Like that turnaround's a little bit a little bit tough for us. But what are you going to do? Um, I'm just happy the game's being played. I'm not going to complain. It's going to be awesome. Very, very excited about it. And hell, maybe, you know, we haven't exactly been kicking Kentucky's ass or playing well at home with fans. Maybe it's, maybe it's not going to be the worst thing in the world. Remember the one game that we've won – um, the one game we won impressively because the other win was the the national championship team beat the NIT Kentucky team by three, which right. was exactly thrilling. The one game where we've played really well and exceeded expectations was the weirdest game that we've played because we played like um, way earlier than usual. It was like December 12th or something. It was a weeknight. It wasn't on the weekend. I, I can tell you exactly. It's a, It was December 21st because my daughter was born that night. Or, That's right. Uh, born earlier in the day. And I watched the game from the hospital. So, yeah, it was a, it's like, uh-oh. It was a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Sorry, I can't remember the exact day or the week. But, um, yeah, you're right. It was, it was like, easily the most, like, not a lot of hype leading up to the game, kind of just thrown into the middle of the week type deal. Yeah, maybe we're going to – maybe we thrive on bizarre circumstances in this rivalry. So, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, let, let's move on. We'll turn the page. We will talk a little bit uh, about the game last Saturday. I know it's kind of old news at this point, but Louisville goes to Pittsburgh. They lose 23-20. Um, they don't lose their quarterback. We found out earlier this week, Malik Cunningham. 
uh, is healthy enough. Uh, he's back at practice. He is quote good to go according to Scott Satterfield. But I feel like there's not. And I, I wrote this in my like write up on on Tuesday on the game on CardChronicle.com. I feel like there's not a whole lot to talk about here. Like there's not. There's not like this thing that happened that was bad. This thing happened that was bad. Let's analyze this play and this play. Like Pitt was just kind of better than us. Like their defensive front was as good as advertised, if not better than advertised. Um, their offense did just enough. They pushed us around the trenches to put up enough points. And when all is said and done, Louisville lost the game by three points that they were underdogs by three points going into. I just feel like it was sort of a the most straightforward outcome of the season. Am I oversimplifying things here? It was kind of just like an eye test thing for me. I mean, I know it's year two and we did have a successful year one under Scott Satterfield. And I know we'll play teams that probably aren't as, you know, high a caliber as Pitt later in the year and get some wins. But we're, we're just not there yet. I mean, luckily we had some skill guys kind of left over. Obviously, we had Mekhi Becton left over for, uh, when Scott got here. But I mean, he Scott made a point in his post game to talk about how Pat Narduzzi has been there five, six years and they've built a culture, uh, especially on defense. They've brought in guys, they've redshirted them, they've developed them, turned them into four year players. And you could tell that he's, he was almost saying to us, like, guys, you got to give me a little bit of time here. I mean, we're working with. Uh, what we got and you know when you go up against you know a, a defensive line like that it, it just kind of completely takes you out of anything that you want to do so yeah I, I thought Malik missed a couple throws but if I'm getting hit like that in the pocket like he was um, I'm probably a little tentative to step up and deliver the ball as well I mean he they might as well have like implanted or painted like a red number what is he number three or five i forget like right in the ground because he was just literally you know on the ground all day so one of those games i mean you felt like like, yeah i guess we got some opportunities but you just didn't feel like we deserved to win that game for some reason you calling scott satterfield scott is (laughs) even funnier than you calling chris mack scotty a funny name Scott said, it just sounds like you're talking about the dude from accounting at, at your office. I enjoy it. Um, I, I thought if there was a frustrating aspect of this game, besides just Pitt, the, the defense kind of stifling us, it was that Louisville did the right thing whenever Pitt brought extra pressure. Whenever they brought um, you know, eight guys, nine guys, um, seven guys, the, the instruction to Malik Cunningham was throw it deep to Tutu. Like he's got single coverage. He's going to be open, take shots downfield. And we did this five or six times, and every single time Tutu was open, every single time he had multiple steps on his man. Um, unfortunately, Malik overthrew him a couple of times. He underthrew him a couple of times. Uh, one time we got the pass interference call. And then the one time where he put a ball kind of on the money, Tutu wasn't able to hold on to it and then went flying into the, the Heinz Field seats, which was yeah. fine for a split second. But you just – you felt like if Pitt kept blitzing, we were going to hit on one of those eventually because you know we've had such a good deep ball game uh, over the last couple of years, and it just never happened. Like the, the big play just never came outside of the JV and Hawkins long touchdown run in the first half, and that was the only thing that kind of you just you kept thinking if we get the ball back, if we get the ball back, like this is going to be the time, and it never happened. But I'm I'm sort of with you when we got the ball on the last possession, and I heard the Pitt guys over at Cardiac Hill talk about this on their podcast. 
you st- I, I still kind of had the sense that maybe we were going to do something because that feels like the situation where Pitt does something stupid. And all I kept thinking was, because I'm with you, I, I thought we got outplayed. I kept thinking, let's steal this. It was going to feel like a, a stolen game if we could bring that home with a, a final touchdown drive in the last minute. And it just didn't happen. I, I mean, Pitt was was that good. And I think you tip your cap to Pat Narduzzi and say, this is the way he's been recruiting. I mean, all of those guys on the defensive line, if you put one of them into our uniform, they're difference makers. Like those guys exactly. are Paris Ford's fantastic. It just felt, it, it felt like a, a lesser version of last year's Kentucky game where you just said they got more dudes than we do. And hopefully we're there in a couple of years. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I mean, credit to the defense. I mean, I, I, yeah. I thought they, they actually played very steady. Um, I mean, they did have the one drive in the first half. It looked like maybe there was a miscommunication on that touchdown, um, you know, but, uh, you know, the one fluke touchdown they had where uh, I think it was character that, that tackled them. If I'm, I don't remember who it was, but, you know, he kind of stayed on his feet there and ran in. Um, it, it's whatever. I'm not going to get mad about that. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I mean, Russ missed that interception. That was tough. Um, but they they held strong when they needed to in the second half, and uh, you're just looking for progress week to week, and I thought they progressed uh, pretty big, although I, I don't think the offensive competition was nearly what Miami was, and it turns out Miami looks pretty damn good, um, so we'll, we'll see going forward. I actually, I mean, it could just be Miami is for real this year. Pitt has in you know one of the better defenses that's what we're hoping um and we can still rack up some w's later in the year uh but again you're at this point we're we're looking for anything to kind of hang our hat on um and I thought the defense progressed um from the Miami game to this game and I think it's fine to be disappointed with being one and two like I'm definitely disappointed I'm sure you're disappointed if you're listening to this uh, I would assume you're disappointed as well but like the people who are going overboard, who are like, you know, we got to get rid of Brian Brown. It was Brian Brown two weeks ago. Now it's, you know, Satterfield really the guy was last year kind of a fluke deal. Let's pump the brakes. Like, like yeah. Miami looks pretty good. We didn't play a good game. There's no question about it. We played a bad game up there um, or down there. We, we didn't, I, we, I don't think we played a terrible game against Pitt. Certainly there were some missed opportunities, but those are two pretty good teams. I still feel like we have a chance to go. Uh, you know, seven and three in the ACC, six and four in the ACC. That definitely still feels like it's on the table. If we do lose to Georgia Tech next Friday, or if we'd look uh, awful in that game, and then we turn around and get blown out by Notre Dame or, or lose to Florida State two weeks after that, then we can start having a realistic conversation about um, not living up to expectations. What went wrong? Uh, or did we buy too much into the hype? All that good stuff. But for now, you know, Louisville just lost to a couple of good teams, and it's disappointing, but that's. I don't think there's any cause for extreme panic. Yeah. Uh, one, one thing I want to point out, I, I thought of this analogy, and, and Scott was great last year. He he, he came into the league and, yeah, it's, what's up, Scott? Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm trying to make a point here. No, but he, he was good last year, um, especially uh, as far as putting up points. Um, the offense that he brought with him, like when a conference or teams aren't used to seeing it for the first time, yeah, I mean, we scored a lot of points last year. It was great, but it's kind of like in baseball when maybe you bring up a, a, a pitcher from AAA and like his first couple starts, you're like, oh my God, this guy's unbelievable. And then they, they kind of do, you know, put the book out on you and they kind of yeah. start to figure out your tendencies a little bit. 
and take away maybe some of the stuff you're good at. And I think that's maybe what's happening a little bit to Scott. And also, I just don't think he has the 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 personnel um, as far as being as far as up front on either side of the ball that. Um, you know, he wants to have later uh, in his Louisville career. But, uh, you know, it, might, it just might be a thing where he, they're adjusting to him and he's got to make an adjustment down the line here. No, I, I totally think that's a part of it. And I think you've seen it. Keith kind of said that last week, too. He, he didn't think that was going to be an issue this, uh, this year. But it has been, uh, at least in the first three weeks of the season. The other thing from Saturday that I think we have to talk about, I don't think I've ever watched a production of anything where one area was as bad as the camera oh my God. for this week's game from the ACC network. Like, and the amount of people that immediately responded to tweets that I made about it by bringing up the audio quality of this podcast was, was disheartening. Like, look, I get it. That's a wake up call. It's, it's bad. It's, it's not that bad. Like it's, we can't control that. We can to a certain extent, but not, not like this. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just dancing in circles. It, it wasn't like – like I get camera people being faked out by a good play fake where they follow the running back and then all of a sudden the ball's being thrown downfield or they follow the wrong guy, ball carrier on the read option. This wasn't that. This was like a straight three-step drop back by, by Pitt. A throw would go to like the short side of the field – and the camera would zoom in like the yeah. Little, who, who zooms in a football? Game? Have we ever zoomed in a football game like during a play? Is that like like I was like, what in the world? Like that like the one pass to Fitzpatrick. I was like, is he wide open or like what's the story here? I I'm just guessing at this point. It was like in baseball when the camera treats a like a routine fly ball like it's a home run like it pans directly up at the sky except it was like that for four fucking quarters like they were just like the like oh my god are we going deep no it was a two-yard run I don't know where the camera was going it was just and it never got any better you kept expecting somebody to step in and be like uh we got to get Allen off camera too we've got to do sub Greg in or like tell Allen just hold the fucking camera steady and don't try to do too much and it never got any better. It was awful for all four quarters. And uh, as much as we rag on the ACC network for the the commercials and some of the uh, kind of you know bad commentary, it's always it's always at least watchable. It's it's always been fine. I haven't had too many complaints. This was terrible. And it went from being this is so bad that it's kind of funny early on to like you're legitimately keeping me from being able to watch this game and see what's going on, and I'm getting really annoyed. Yeah, the the commercials and the you know, the bad commentary is kind of like our podcast, you know, audio. It's part of the charm a little bit. But I mean, when you like start taking away actual plays that we want to watch. Yeah, we're probably going to have something to bitch about. I mean, I know, you know, and I don't know what the budget is for the ACC network. You know, times are tough right now. But (laughs) I mean, it, it shouldn't be too hard to find an experienced camera guy to just Follow the football. That's all we need. Just follow the football and don't zoom in so much where we can't see. But yeah, it was, uh, I mean, the, if you're like winning and stuff, it's kind of like, I, I guarantee we would treat that different. We'd be like, what the hell is going on? When you're like losing, you're like, Jesus, what the hell? I can't see anything. It's just like a completely different approach. So um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, disappointing broadcast. Uh, just like the cards, they got to clean it up next time out. I feel myself, I don't know if this happens to you, but like the older I get, and certainly after having a kid, 
there are little things I do that remind me so much of my dad, like like little like lines or just things that come to my mind, and it's terrifying. And one of them was uh, when this when this kept happening, I was like, "Will you show the goddamn game?" And it was. <laughs> I heard my dad say that like 5,000 times in my life. And it's always, it, will you show the goddamn game? Will you talk about the goddamn game? It's, just, it, it's always along those lines. And the first time hearing myself say it, like unironically, totally serious, it terrified me a little bit. Like, I, my, like my stomach dropped a little bit as the words came out of my mouth. But that's what that's what the ACC network did to me. That's, that's what they did. That's their fault. Uh, that, we, that just takes us down. I mean, me and you have talked about this, like how much – just like funny things that our, our dads do during U of L games and like how we've kind of started to do the same things. Like my right. dad's big thing is when we go to basketball games, like I, as soon as the under four timeout hits, I immediately look over. It doesn't know ma- matter what the score is. And he is, his eyes are peeled to see how fast can I get to this car to beat everybody out of here? I mean, it like his life depends on making sure that he's out of that parking lot before anyone. Um, and it's just the kind of a funny trait that he has, but yeah, I, you, you saying that to your TV, I can definitely, you know, uh, picture Glenn saying the exact same thing. All right. Cards are one and two. We get a bye week. Um, so we won't talk again about uh, a football game until next week versus Georgia tech. Um, that leads us to, and I haven't talked to you about this, but I've got a very specific idea. We haven't had a good Dan in the Dumps in a while. And if you haven't, if you didn't listen to the podcast at the beginning, our first little, really our only kind of segment besides talking about local sports is Danny has stupid stuff happen to him all the time. He has really bad luck. A lot of it's self-inflicted. Um, it's usually nothing too big, but he's got funny stories. And so we used to end every podcast with a Dan in the Dump story. And since we've come back from the pandemic, they've kind of been half-assed. So I had a very specific idea for a story that I want to tell that involves you. And oh, God. It's, you can jump in and help me with the story once we get going. But with the Los Angeles Lakers playing in the NBA Finals and Rajon Rondo still playing professional basketball and still being good, I felt like we had to end this episode by telling the story of the time where you had to guard him uh, one-on-one in high school. Uh, yeah, that- no, yeah, we can uh... – it's been rehashed by my friends millions of times, but we can lay it out on the airwaves here. Uh, All right, let's do, sure. let's do, we'll, we'll do a little bit of table setting here. So you and I, we graduated high school in 03. So we are, we're a year older than Rondo is. Um, so when we were seniors, he was a junior at Eastern. And the very first game, I, I played baseball in high school. You played basketball. And the very first game of your all season, correct me if I'm wrong, it was at home and you guys played Eastern, right? Correct. And I covered this game for the school newspaper. I wrote about sports for the school newspaper. And Rondo was actually my very first quote, which was pretty cool. But it was a competitive game. And he had a game-winning three-pointer. Uh, you guys had a shot at the buzzer to try and win. Uh, I think it was Brett Saxton. Sorry for shouting you out on the pod, Brett. <laughs> uh, but you missed it. And Eastern won the game. And I remember, like, Rondo, he was pretty good. Like, we all kind of knew about him. Um, but his big thing at the time was he had an offer from Cincinnati. Like, like he wasn't known as this just – can't miss surefire five-star kid who can go wherever he wants that kind of happened later in the year and I remember thinking he was good but like yeah he, he was okay he, he was clearly the best player on the court but I didn't know if he was like that good so then fast forward a couple of months it's the the LIT and you guys you're down your best player our mutual friend uh, Chris McCoy now Chris Arbanese 
He was ended up being an All-State player, walked on at NC State. He, I think, took a little bit of a hiatus. And I, first of all, I love that you guys were like, we're going to be fine without him. And then very quickly, <laughs> they're like, we fucking suck without this guy. So he's not around for your guys' LIT game against, uh, against Eastern. You're matched up against Eastern again. And I remember it's at Old Louisville Garden. And I remember we got there really early. And the game before, it was Mike Bush and Mayo versus, I think, Fairdale went into overtime. So we got a little bit of extra time. You come out of the locker room, and you're, like, right next to where we are, and you kind of motion me to come over, and you're laughing. And I'm like, what's going on? And you just look at me, and you go, I'm guarding Rajon. <laughs> yeah. No, that's exactly what happened. Um, I, so the first time we played him was actually, I mean, I, I came off the bench. I was probably, depending on what game it was, either the second or third guy off the bench usually. Um the guy I played behind obviously ended up walking on at NC State, so he was pretty good. Um, but I had a really good first game that we played him. I think I had like 11 or 12 points. I forgot, um, to, I forgot to mention that in the same newspaper story where I quote Rajon Ron, I believe his quote was like something like, I like having the ball in clutch situations. I quoted you calling yourself a spark plug, which was, <laughs> was just wonderful. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely was a spark plug that game, but that's besides the point. So let's fast forward to the LIT. Yeah, you came over. And I mean, I was I, I, I don't want to say I was the team clown, but I kind of <laughs> kept it loose in the locker room a little bit. Like, you know, there was definitely guys. I mean, we had Brian Brom. We had a couple other guys. I mean, with, that were pretty serious. And I, I just kind of keep things loose. But, yeah, I'll never forget Mike Zabo. Um, obviously, he's improved his coaching since then. But he wrote <laughs> he had the matchups written on the whiteboard Sennard v Rondo and like literally it wasn't just me that was giggling like in the locker room I like looked over at my closest friends and like their eyes lit up and I was like holy god like what the hell is going on so obviously I was kind of I mean I was terrified nervous but I was giggly at the same time so I told you and I mean you can probably describe say, this is going to be from back. watching the game. Yeah, it, he, he went say. on to set the LIT record for most points in, in an actual tournament, but you can describe oh, the game. Ahead. So I go after you tell me this, I go back to our friends where we're sitting and let everybody know that you're about to guard Rondo in man-to-man defense. And I'll just say, like, the entire excitement level that we all had for the game went up exponentially, like, like <laughs> infinitely. Like, we all got way more excited about this game. And you guys – just got the shit kicked out of you. I think like, <laughs> I'm wrong. First, I, I think it was the first three possessions. I mean, Rondo, and again, there's no shame in this. He's an NBA player. He was ended up being like maybe the best point guard in Oak Hill Academy history. Rondo goes like right around you in dunks, I think three straight times. Is, is that about right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you can say he went around me. Like some of the times it was maybe like I was trailing on a fast break. You know, the guy's fast. He can get to the rim, whatever he wants. But yeah, whatever I was supposed to do was not happening. I mean, I'll say this. like You were a good basketball player. You had a lot of strengths. I wouldn't say lateral. <laughs> no. Yeah, definitely. I tried the Caritas program to get my feet faster. It didn't work. Very slow feet. I'm a slow-footed defender. Don't move good side to side. So Rondo, first of all, the three possessions happen. You guys go to zone and, and then just get lit up from the outside. Um, I think Rondo ends up with like 31 points. And you said it. He ends up um, setting the LIT scoring record that tournament. I think they won the tournament. And I don't think that's been broken. But at one point, so we're kind of like from the stands, we're sort of like razzing Rondo. We're doing our, trying to heckle. He's got a million points. You guys are losing by like 30. And it, the only thing I remember is he catches an alley-oop. 
he dunks, he hangs on the rim with one hand, grabs his nuts with the other, and then points at us, gets teed up, we give him a standing ovation. <laughs> like, like, what can you do at that point? Like, the guy absolutely owned, owned us. But that was definitely an early vintage day in the dumps afternoon. Yeah, and, and like, it's so, I mean, it's cool. I cheer for him, obviously, just because, you know, um that was like a once in a lifetime experience to guard an nba player but uh like last friday uh, you know he's playing and me and my wife are like late night like watching the on the couch i was like god damn it how fat am i just sitting here (laughs) eating an ice cream sandwich and look what he's done with his life he's number seven all time as an assist at nba he just passed scotty pippen So, yeah, that's it. We've kind of gone our separate ways, I guess you could say. That first game played real well. It was great. Yeah, I did. But yeah, no, that was that was a good story. Do you have any uh, any parting thoughts before we get out of here? No, we need we need the Reds to win tomorrow. Yeah. UofL fans just kind of take a breather for a week. We'll we'll get our feet back under us. Um, But if you're not on the Reds bandwagon, you know, me and Mike need you more than ever. We do. Uh, we until we talk to you next time. I guess we'll say uh, go cards, go Reds. Go cards. <laughs>